Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather here this this morning to offer our praises and worship and to adore you and to tell you, Abba Adonai, Father, the glory and the honor and the praise and the majesty all belongs to you. And we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Master, our coming King. And we want to give you the praise and the glory as we gather here to thank you, God, as we think and thank you for the many blessings. As we come, O oh God, with our hearts lifted up in worship to you. And we come, O oh God, because we need a touch from you. We come, O oh God, because we want you to minister to our hearts today that lives would be touched spirit, soul, body, and you would, oh God, meet needs according to your riches and glory, and that you would touch lives today, whether it be in the spirit, born again, and backsliders coming home, or whether it be, oh God, as peace in the midst of tension, or spiritual healing, or solical healing, and certainly physical healing. But we come, oh God, to give you praise. Open our ears, and Spirit of God, take charge, we pray. And bring us and usher us into the presence of our Father and help us to know about our Lord Jesus Christ. To you be glory as you bless each one of us and we thank you in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome once again. And those that are watching, we want to welcome you. And no matter what part of the day or night you are watching, we just pray that God would reach out and touch you. And if you are on Facebook, share it. Or on YouTube, won't you tell others and tell others about what takes place, that they could be part of this worship experience. Precious people of God that I hear this morning, we want to just thank you for your continued presence, particularly in these difficult times, and to coming back, and uh, it's so important. I cannot tell you the numbers of lives that have been touched as they took the step of faith coming back to the church. I was talking to somebody and they were so grateful that I reached out to them and called them because so many people have been stuck into the homes and I cannot tell you the number of people that have been sick and they need to take, especially people of God that need to take a step of faith and come out and to realize that many in the, uh, in, particularly who have operated in the faith, when they lock themselves, it's a sign of uh, lack of faith. And I want you to know there are many lives that are actually locked up and literally mentally and physically destroyed because they let the enemy put them into what would be uh, like even Lazarus has been locked up and you hear the voice of Jesus speaking, Lazarus, come out. You need to come out of your situation. It is not a good sign. So this is a time you need to express your faith and to come together to celebrate this event and come together as we come in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, gathering of ourselves in worshiping and praising the Lord. First, I want to tell you that we are continuing our series and we talked about the five senses. We're still in what would be the smell. And I'm talking today about the ointment and the frank, uh, the, the, uh, the awesome... Uh, sense in which we are able to smell the sweet-smelling savour, and I'll be talking about particularly, it's a two-series of this message called The Flies in the Ointment. 
I want to say this, it's an f- English idiom, fly in the ointment, and it's not found literally in the Bible, but the nearest and the closest you could find is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10 and verse 1. If you look at it, it doesn't say uh, fly in the ointment, but what it says, dead flies cause the ointment of the apotaraki to uh, send forth stinking fla- uh, savor, so doth a little folly uh, him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. The apothecary is basically the, prefer, the one that makes the perfume and the one we would today call the druggist or the pharmacist, though that's not the literal word, basically the one who would be doing the perf- perfume, but much more. It is to do with not only perfume, it is to do with incense, it is to do with what would be a special ointment in the Old Testament that is particularly and peculiarly reaching out uh, in praises to the Lord. So I want you to understand the ointment or, the, or what you would call the sweet-smelling Sabbath actually is uh, of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But I want to just say that when you turn to uh, chapter 10 and verse 1 of the book of Ecclesiastics, the previous verse, actually that goes to chapter 9 and verse 18, is a contrast between uh, wisdom and folly. And the way it says is, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyed much good. So just like wisdom that brings life, here is foolishness that can destroy it like a weapon of war, and one sinner destroys so much good. Now, that being said, towards the end of chapter 10 and verse 1, it says a little folly of him that is in reputation for wisdom and, and honor. So this is what it does, a little folly. After all this building up, after all this, one little flaw can destroy. And then he gives you the connotation or what would be the imagery of uh, a manufacturer of perfume, a manufacturer of sacred oil, and he says, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking saber. So instead of what would be a beautiful, sweet-selling fragrance, the cause of one fly, and don't underestimate, that one fly can destroy such a vast amount of production that would be an ointment, that would be something of a cream that is uh, useful for medicinal, for what would be even uh, in terms of cosmetics, or whatever would be in terms of uh, massage, whatever the ointment would be, but particularly to regard with, uh, we are talking about the frank, uh, the the ointment or the anointing that brings such a beautiful fragrance to the Lord. I want to say that when you look into this passage, um, the writer of the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, some or the other, may have had an experience. Now, this writer is none other than King Solomon, and I would gather that this would be because in his own experience, he has found that one of his own uh, perfumer that brings basically the perfume, not only uh, whether it be for the temple use or whether it be for his own use, um, it took a lot of time to bring all these beautiful flowers together, to bring basically the sweet-smelling herbs and all the condiments that make up and that the spices that are mixed in in time and duration and the right climate and the right preparation in proportion to everything that has been done. One of the problems is he just in the maybe business or basically he may have forgotten, but he left the lid open allowing a fly to enter it. And then the fly not only enters, he gets stuck. 
And because of that, he dies. We don't know how long, but it was not long afterwards that this beautiful, what would be sweet-smelling fragrance, sweet-smelling savour, the sweet-smelling smell that is pleasant and that is a perfume, that is an aroma that is so beautiful and uh, suddenly begins to stink and that becomes a tragedy. I'll be speaking not only in terms of what would be how the fragrance can become stinking, I will be moving into what would be the from the Old Testament and New Testament. So everything that I speak today is building up what would be a two-part series that comes to the end, how to avoid having that fragrance becoming a stink and how to be able to be the sweet-smelling savour that God wants of us to him and to many others. And I'm talking about the spiritual implication of what would be the natural, literal interpretation from the Old Testament. But to us, it's a New Testament totally different. I also want to uh, basically bring home the fact how important it is to avoid Things, even the little things like little folly or a little fly or the little foxes that can destroy our spiritual life, let alone our mental or let alone our physical lives. And so it takes just one little insect, it takes one little virus to destroy um, mankind. So we need to be very careful with it. When you talk about flies, you might say, what's the big deal with flies? I will be talking about the plagues and the f- f- first, uh, the second, third, fourth uh, plague that God set upon the people uh, of Egypt will literally do with flying, creeping insect, all part of that flies, whether you want to call it in terms of flies or whether you want to call it in terms of lies, whether you want to call it in terms of locusts, they devastate the nation of Egypt and literally they were part of the worship and the creations that the Egyptian worshipped in the then known uh, period. But I want to just talk about seven points. I won't be able to finish that today. The first point has to do with literally the ointment uh, that you can smell. That is a sweet smelling uh, flavor, fragrance. Then number two, the beauty of that ointment is its fragrance. And I'll be talking about what the Bible talks about because we've been covering it the last two Sundays. The third I would talk about, that this oil actually is also in the temple use of purification that would bring them sense of purification in terms of ceremonial laws, in terms of worship, in terms of what would be the things that would be performed in the house of God. Number three, uh, number four, I'll be talking about what are these flies. There is something like 120,000 species of flies in all over the world. In fact, one square inch in a, a square mile in a rural area in America contains more of these species of flies than the entire population in the entire globe. That this is, uh, whether you know it or not, it is the most dangerous things bringing the largest number of death, you call it a TB or malaria or, or whatever you want to call it, smallpox or chickenpox, everything are spread, even typhoid are spread by these little things, including what we are going through with this virus, a tiny form that you don't see, whereas the others you can see among what would be the section called flies. And this flies represent, and I'll be talking about number four, what this represents, the Lord of the flies that the Bible talks about and how it should be hated and how 
It represents Satan who will destroy lives as he's doing even today. We're not talking just the natural, which is happening in the last couple of years, but also in terms, let me say, the spiritual, and the implications is alarming for many Christians today, even spiritual Christians, the way they are doing things today, all for the sake of money or the morality and the sense in which they have lost their cognizance of the Almighty God and His Word, and suddenly other things have taken place. It's the fly in the ointment. I'll be talking about what would be an important component that is a little folly, number five, can destroy. It's just a little fox. It's just little things that can totally down a big tree. I'll be talking that in number nine that we've been doing the last couple of uh, weeks. The number six is simply what is how to avoid it. And number seven, uh, number six is avoiding all of these and the principle that God's word tells us. And number seven, how to avoid it, which again, I would have to say, I'll have to complete it next uh, uh, Sunday, God willing. But suffice to say, I want to begin with the first four points, if I could, because that's how I found I couldn't finish seven at the earlier service. I would think four would be about the best we can go before the worship comes back. So coming back to what I would call Ecclesiastics chapter 10, verse 1, a fly in the ointment can destroy the fragrance, can destroy the composition of a wonderful, beautiful composition of what would be the apocary had done to bring about the beauty of this. And Solomon, in his own wisdom, translated what must have taken place and that he observed in order to bring about this beautiful uh, uh, imagery of how lives can be destroyed and how wisdom can be moved into foolishness by one little folly. Now, that being said, I wanted to understand I just want to go into something very important. When you think in terms of a reputation, of a man that has a calling upon his life, a man that has basically lived his life, and you can see that in a man no less than Jacob, he like the average uh, uh, Christian today, uh, he has basically uh, checkers in his life. He's not the perfect person, but he still had a reputation, and he was so upset from what his children had done, and in order to basically uh, pacify something, he, they go down to this village because their sister had been violated. So they come up with the idea, why don't you get uh, circumcised, and then we would have a great marriage and have a great gala together, and you'd be part of our family. And the people in Shemites believed that, and while they were in the course of this, uh, the sons of Jacob went in and slaughtered them. And I want you to understand the reaction of Jacob when you find it in Genesis chapter 34 and verse 30. He's simply saying, you have changed my reputation into something so stinking. He says, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me to make me to sting before the inhabitants of the land. Now, I want you to understand, this is a man talking to his children, and yet God speaks to his children in the Old Testament time and time again, you have caused my name to be stinking before the people. And many a times, the things we see, even in the charismatic circle, when they do things and they're doing everything basically to build their own kingdom in terms of making money, in terms of doing things to be able to, uh, to uh, 
basically manufacture and do things just so that it looks like the real. They have nothing, they've done nothing than basically make the name of God's thinking in the name of spirit fill, in the name of worship. People do some crazy stuff, and when others see it, they basically say, what? I don't want to do anything with this. And I want you to understand, it is God's people that causes his name to be stinking rather than be a sweet fragrance. Now, first I would talk about what would be the ointment. So let me go back to Ecclesiastics chapter 10 and verse 1. You find the apothecary basically takes that time takes the composition of the various herbs, takes the composition of the various flowers. There are hundreds of crushed flowers together. It's a com composition of everything that has been prescribed and proscribed by, the Bible, in, by, the, by God in order to make this an anointing oil, an ointment, and literally it takes so much of work, it takes effort, it takes money, it takes time. All this for lack of basically not taking care of it, or by default, not putting a lid over it, suddenly a fly enters, and that's the end. I want you to understand that even though you've taken all the time to cook the most uh, wonderful meal, or it could be a confectionery, or it could be the best dish you could ever think about, and just leave it down there, and a couple of flies come in, and the next moment you know, they have transmitted into it, whether it's malaria, whether it's cholera, whether it's typhoid, whether it is anthrax, or whether it is basically just about anything, because they bring disease and death and their curse, and that's literally speaking about the one it represents. I will be talking about Satan representing so many ways like serpent and like fox, but one picture of it is the flies, and he's also called the Lord of the flies. But before we come to that, I want you to understand, when you take this ointment that we're talking about in the Bible, ointment has so many connotations in the Bible. Let me just say, when you look at the three gifts the wise men brought to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was a babe, two have to do with spices or ointment, and they basically are composition of the holy oil. If you take Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, listen to what it says here. And they came unto the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures... This is a wonderful treasure. It meant so much in the Old Testament. And what is it? It's talking about gold. I can understand that. But frankincense and myrrh, they are treasures as well. One will be required in their travel to Egypt when Herod is basically trying to kill the child. The other two speaks about his life and also speaks about his suffering and his death. They are very important component of all that it represents in the life of the Lord Jesus. But it talks about it as they opened their treasure. They could have brought diamond. They could have brought the pearl of great price. But these three things, they are wise men. Listen to me. That's what Ecclesiastes talking about, wise men. And these wise men bought these three things with great wisdom. And I want you to keep this mind, treasures. Number two, I want you to understand what would be important is the ointment also speaks of something that brings a sweet fragrance, that brings uh, what would be a good aroma. 
So if you were in the Old Testament, that would be literal. So if you were to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20, you think about David. He has just lost the child. He'd been mourning. He'd been crying. But then after the child has died, he rises up from the earth and washed himself and perfumed or put the cologne or he anointed himself and changed his apparel and came to the house of the Lord and worshipped. So you find this is what would be the way in which in the Old Testament, the Middle Eastern folks would do. And I will translate into worshipping with anointing, not with some cologne bottle or not with some ointment, but it speaks in the spiritual, worshipping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Now let me again say, when you think in terms of the cost of this uh, and the sacredness of this, this is not something just you expose to everybody. Uh, it's not something that... You want to show off and go on the public and say, listen to me, I'm going to do this miracle and do crazy stuff just to impress people. Uh, no, it's not how it is. It should be treasured. It should be used when the Holy Spirit allows you to use. You're becoming what would be a witness, and the Holy Spirit will give you power to be the witness of the Lord Jesus. A great king, Ezekiah, just a wonderful man of God, and he was a king, a great reformer, but the mistake he made is found in the second... Uh, Kings chapter 20 and verse 13, when the embassy, uh, the embassy from the Syria comes and he begins to open up and what he does is uh, Ezekiel hearkened unto them because they said, show us everything you have in the house. And he showed them all the house of his precious things, precious things. Take that treasure, now precious things, silver and gold and spices and precious ointment. And all the house of his armor, and all was found in the house. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Ezekiah showed them not. Show off. Even a godly man, like this man, can be a show off. The anointing of God is given to us not for show off. It should not pump our head. We should not have a heavy head. It is just to give glory to God. If it glorifies the man, have nothing to do with it. So this is precious ointment. Read that again. And if you have notes, and if you're watching our, basically you can get the notes already there. It's all of these scriptures are there. So I want you to realize this is not only treasure, but it is also precious. And that is very important. What I want you to understand is all of this is very important. And uh, when you're looking at when uh, a nation is defeated, they have to pay tributaries. Now, I want you to know when you are worshipping the Lord, you're liberated and you have and you enjoy freedom, you are not under anybody's bondage. And what you do is give tributes to God, which literally means giving to God. Uh, basically what belongs to him, a tenth of what belongs to him. But the moment you live a defeated life, you're giving tributaries to what would be Egypt of today, which would be demons in the kingdom, not the kingdom, uh, not the nation of Egypt. But in the Old Testament, literally that represents what we represent that is not of God. So when you turn to the book of Hosea, chapter 12, and verse 1, I want you to listen to what the Bible writes about this. It says, Ephraim uh, feeded on the wind and followed after the east wind. They just didn't uh, care. He daily increased lies and desolation, and they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and the oil is carried to Egypt. Excuse me, 
they basically did not heed to the presence of God. They were just feeding on the wind, all sorts of lies, all sorts of nonsense. You got to listen to the news today. It is nothing fake news that comes from agencies within the government when they want to put you on a, on a slow death diet of poison hearing. And when you look at it, all over the world they're doing this and America is not exempt. And when you hear the news, you are hearing the wrong side and you tend to think that's the news. They will never give you the right news. But here you find a nation like Israel, they were following the wind, they were following the uh, east wind and they just didn't care. Ultimately, they were giving their tributes of all things, not to God, but to Egypt, they were looking to Egypt, even as the nation of Israel always looked to Egypt then and even now to America, rather than to Yahweh, the great mighty God. I want you to understand something very important when you look into this, is ointment gives gladness to the heart. Uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and one of the things, the joy of the Lord, is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice, I say, and again I say rejoice, that Paul could write when he was in the Philippian prison. But when you turn to Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 9, it's a very powerful word, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. And so this is uh, in the natural for them, but today it is the ointment and the perfume or the fragrance of the Holy Spirit rejoices our heart, and that is very important. There's something else I will talk to you, I want you to know, because I'll refer to all of this much later from the Old Testament, bringing it into the light into the New Testament. It's also, ointment speaks about health. And when you turn to Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22, it called the balm of Gilead. And of course, in the south, they used to sing that song, is there no balm in Gilead? Why is not the physician there? Why are the health of the daughters of my uh, daughters uh, uh, not recovered? And so what it simply means is the balm of Gilead or the ointment that brings healing. Now, this is very important because you do know that today, in literal sense, you have balm that brings uh, healing. And so the ointment or the oil, and many times we solo, comes out of this oil. Oil is special. Oil is precious. Even today we realize, albeit not the perfume oil or what would be, but literal oil today, if there is, isn't any oil, basically there would be strife, there would be a war. In fact, we look forward to getting oil from the Middle East, we're dependent on oil. And even though there could be things alternative, America will not allow that like other nations because we're so dependent, the corporation need that money. And if you discover something that lets your automobile move without the oil, hey, watch out for your life and your family. Oil has become something very precious. It's a very precious commodity being sold like literal oil in the world today, whether it's corn oil or it is basically oil from basically the various Middle East that you find is healthy uh, and the others that are unhealthy. So this is all very important, precious commodity. Let me also say what is so important is it is important for wounds being healed. And you do have like uh, the balm that you get basically if you have arthritis or whether you have some bone pain, these are very important. Not only the things that you intake, but also that would be applied or massaged. And that is a connotation of the Holy Spirit giving you 
uh, he's, uh, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me because he has anointed to preach the gospel and also to heal the brokenhearted, broken bones. And when you look at this passage, you're going to find how important it is. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6, listen carefully. It says, from the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and fortifying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with the ointment. What is wrong, God says, because people have gone backsliding, people have gone a whoring, people have walked away from God and used the new morality or what would be the correct way of doing things rather than uh, in the present context, rather than the true sense of what God says. Uh, so everything is turned around. So there's no healing. And what you find is putrefying and is not being mollified by any ointment. Now, very interesting, because in the New Testament, you do find this uh, very strong connotation of this uh, wound being healed by ointment. You remember the man who goes out and he was mugged on the streets. And what happens is a Samaritan, you call him the Good Samaritan, took him up. And what did he do when you turn to Luke chapter I believe chapter 10 and verse 34, listen to what it says, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil or ointment and wine. So one is to intake, the other is to massage, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, this is very interesting. Literally, that is what doctors do. That is what good Samaritans do. But in the spiritual, for that one that has been marked by Satan, that has been uh, basically suddenly out of the out of the blue, something comes and hits them, whacks them. Uh, basically, it is all of the evil that falls on them. It's the evil spirit coming and breaking them up, and it calls for the good Samaritan to stand and to heal his wound by the Holy Spirit. Not only the wine of the Holy Spirit, but also the oil of the Holy Spirit. That is what I would be talking about in the New Testament. Now, that being said, I want to draw number two point is simply about fragrance. So the oil that we find in the Old Testament has a sense of beauty and fragrance. So it could be corrupted by one little fly. So coming back to Ecclesiastics chapter 10 and verse 1, listen carefully. Dead flies cause the ointment or the fragrance to be destroyed. What the, uh, what the apothecary has done so long with so much patience, with so much of herbs, with so much of flowers, with so much of things, I want you to understand this is all taking place with much consideration, the proportion being right, the climate being right, with moderations of everything combined together with all this effort and all of this painstaking details and following all of the equation. And then one little fly, one little sin, one little fox destroys the whole vineyard. That is sad. This literally happens when you see in terms of bird flu or whether you find cow diseases or whether you find in terms of mankind falling down to a virus. It's so dangerous. And so you find the fly represents literally as the fly represents spiritually uh, the mother of all flies. We're talking about the Lord of the flies. I'll come to that. But when you look at the fragrance, the fragrance turns into stinkiness. I'm, it's such an uh, odor 
that you want to avoid it, but it was not meant to produce that. It was meant to be something beautiful and fragrant, and that is sad. Many times the word fragrant and ointment is connected and combined together, and you can read a lot about it in the Songs of Solomon. I talked the last time about the Song of Solomon simply being in the Old Testament and literal, natural, physical love relationship between the king and the Shunammite woman, literally portrayed by King Solomon. But why would that manual or that book be in the Old Testament for one reason, to tell us a love that is pure is a connotation of God's glorious love for his people, or in the New Testament, the love of Jesus Christ to his church. Or Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the best example, and yet an imperfect example, the love of a of the uh, husband to the wife and responding the wife to the husband. So these are all played out in the spiritual level because he, uh, Paul uses his expression but to talk about the love of Christ towards his people, the church. Like in the Old Testament, Adonai loved his people and yet they walked away. And you can see the story of uh, uh, what this uh, um, um, the prophet's wife did in running away and becoming again a play out of the real fact of God's love being spurned by his people, Gomer's attitude towards her husband's love. Now I want you to understand something very important. When you look into this passage, you're going to find that what the Songs of Solomon is talking about, we talked about a couple of verses the last Sunday. But just to suffice, Songs of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 3, look at the way this is described. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments of your name is as ointment poured thereof. Wherefore, wherefore do your, the virgins love you? That's the reason why they love you. There's a sweet aroma about the Lord. You know, you can see that uh, played out in Psalm 95. But let's read Psalm 95, verse 8. The last time I talked about three verses telling you who it is about. But in Psalm 90, uh, 45, I'm sorry, Psalm 45 and verse 8, you can see this played out. Uh, All thy garments smell of myrrh. Number one, aloes. Number two, cassia. Number three, and out of the every palaces whereby they have made thee glad. What is it talking about? What is so interesting is the Father God is speaking to Yeshua, Mashiach, our Lord, our Savior. So when you turn to chapter uh, in the same chapter 45 and verse 6, listen to what God is saying. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your scepter of your kingdom is right, the right scepter. Jesus Christ comes as a savior. He comes as a suffering servant. Isaiah, the first part of Isaiah, is basically about the suffering servant and one who would die. And you can read that in verse 53. But then from 60 uh, on to the end, it's talk about the reigning king and his millennium. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ would basically build that kingdom where there would be peace and tranquility and, and there would be justice and everything that you would ever desire. It is called the desire of nations, ultimately, that he will bring it to the Father and God the Father would be over all. And so we realize Jesus is what the Father says. I will lift up his name, every knee will bow. And he says, this is my son in whom I am very well pleased. And he talks about the Holy Spirit 
talking about Jesus and he becomes, uh, we are called to be witness of the Lord Jesus. So people would come to know the almighty God, all religions know in a way God, but they don't know him personally. But, but for those through Christ and through what Jesus Christ has done, through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection, because of what the Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our coming, coming King does, we are become sons of God. And we know Abba, the great mighty God, the everlasting God, and we address him as Abba, Father, Daddy, or whatever. That is a, of what would be a term of endearment, a term of intimacy that others don't have. They come knocking their head down and all of that is good. But for us, without taking away the glory of God, without taking away his attributes, without taking away his characteristic, characteristic all of that being said, while angels are falling left, right, and forward, we go before the eternal God on his throne and say, Daddy. It's a term of endearment, a term of uh, close intimacy, which basically is what the Songs of Solomon in its purest spiritual form is all about. Now, I want you to realize, when you go to chapter 95 of, of Psalm 45 and verse, uh, the second verse, verse 7, you love righteousness, hate wickedness, therefore God, your God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. I talked about how that is basically played out in the book of Hebrew. And then in verse 8, it talks about the myrrh and, and aloes and cassia. That is basically what it talks about. That is so beautiful. What is interesting is when you go into these passages, you're going to find what with the fragrance of God, the majesty and the beauty of God, that is so really awesome and great. And this is the awesome, the fragrance that we're talking about that should not be corrupted, that should not be decayed, that should not become a stink, and we need to protect that which God gives to us. So when you turn to second. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, 15, and 16, uh, we find, thanks be to God, which causes us to triumph. He's made manifest the flavor or the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. And verse 15 goes on to say, For we are unto God a sweet-smelling savour of Christ. Why? Because in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, we're told because Jesus becomes to us and because of what he did, becomes a sweet-smelling savour of God. So when God looks down, he can see us in our form of sin and all of that. And suddenly you find the Passover really played out. The lamb is slain and he sees the blood. And you find in the Old Testament, the angel of death passed by because of the blood, not because of the Hebrew but because of the blood that was put on the mantle, put on the dough, put into the... And today, when you apply the blood, when you recognize not Jesus Christ as a great prophet, not Jesus Christ, our Lord, as a savior, uh, as simply as a great healer, but yes, as a savior and Lord. This is important when we apply literally the blood into our lives. Uh, and the Father sees, God sees it, or the angel of death passes by. But when you see the fragrance, uh, you know, you're reminded of Genesis chapter 6, the stench, the stinkiness of this mankind. And yet, when you find Jesus' fragrance, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, he becomes a sweet-smelling savour for us to God. 
And now we are called to be that sweet-smelling server, following the example of the Lord Jesus in love and walk with him, and that we would be what uh, Second. Second Corinthians chapter four, uh, chapter two, and verse fourteen and fifteen that we talked about earlier describes, in, and so this is important. So all this to say, the book of Romans chapter twelve, verse one, brings us this very magnificent piece because Romans is a great epistle, but the way it comes is this passage turns things around. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That should be holy, sweet-smelling, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship or your service. The Greek word for worship and service is one. So what you do and how you worship all combines together to be a sweet-smelling servant of God. So you are on church on Sunday and stealing from your company on Monday, that's a stinking effect in the eyes of God. You are in the church as you are at home, as you are at work, as you're on the street. Can you say amen? You should always be. It's not one day a week, but every day that we should be a sweet-smelling savour unto God. Now, that talks about the fragrance. Let me go to the third one. The oil also is a purifying oil. When you say purifying, the Old Testament has a powerful word in which the oil, in a sense, is purification. So whether you are going to serve the Lord or whether it's the implements of the temple, they all have to be covered with basically a sweet-smelling fragrance. So, of course, you go to the Old Testament and you're going to the temple, the first thing you realize is the innermost sanctuary or the holy sanctuary or the sanctorium the innermost sanctorium is forbidden except one time to one person, the high priest. And again, in that one day called the Day of Atonement, he cannot just walk in like that. There's the incense that is basically smoke, and he won't see anything of the presence of God or the Shekinah glory, but there is an opaque sense of that. But apart from what you see, God who sees, there's also God who hears, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord. Apart from that, you also smell, and that smell is associated with the fragrance of God. That has to be sprayed. Now, I want you to understand a very important thing. In this ceremonial that you find, uh, they are out in the Old Testament. It's not played out literally in the New Testament. I'll just explain in just a few words. But if you go down to Exodus chapter 30 and verse 25, this is the composition, and thou shalt make it a oil of holy ointment. This is the purifying sense of oil, compound after the art of the uh, the apothecary, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. So it's a purifying oil. I just want to say this: when you go into the Old Testament, these are an important important part uh, of the worship. These are all that is necessary, and these are part of the worship, and these, uh, these becomes real, played out of the Old Testament, but not so in the New Testament. And I would say this because all of that in the Old Testament, the ceremonial laws and all the things that were there, has been totally fulfilled, and the word is fulfilled. God just didn't abolish it. So, what I mean to say is we don't have to go through the implements of the Old Testament or the modes of the Old Testament in fact, 
you don't have to be circumcised. That you do that, you actually are telling the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is incomplete and it needs your two cents into it. God doesn't need your two cents. He's done it fully when he said, it is finished. It's done and finished with. The word I would rather use is he fulfilled it. So when you see the things of the past has been fulfilled, why do you need the photograph of someone when the real person is here today? So those were necessary, but not today. So I like the word in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. The, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I have not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy but I have come to fulfill. It is fulfilled. It is finished. Now, here is played out by Mary. When Jesus comes, you see three days is about the time the body can stay in the grave, but the fourth day it is decayed. So literally that was the laws of the Old Testament. And you don't touch a body after a few days. It is contaminated. It is uh, it is basically not allowed and so forth and so forth. So many times you find in the, in the Middle East and they basically totally, completely bury the body the same day because that would be a contamination. In fact, the people could not touch something like that. So um, when you turn to John chapter 11 and verse 39, here is Mary telling the Lord Jesus Christ according to the Old Testament way, this is the fourth day and the body would be contaminated. John chapter 11 and verse 39. She said, take away the stone and, and Martha the strophim that was dead said, Lord, by this time, by this time, the body stinketh and he hath been dead for four days. So looking at the old way of doing things. Of course, the Kadava is basically stinking. That's true. But when you look in the New Testament, you're going to find a little difference. And I want you to understand uh, the, the laws have been fulfilled. And when you look into the Old Testament way of doing it, if you and I were in the Old Testament, we have to go by what God told us in the Old Testament. Uh, nothing short of it. But we're not in the Old Testament. They are all the ceremonial laws important, whether it be the priest, whether it be the sacrifice, whether it be the temple, way and how you do this and all of the acts that you have to do and all of the paraphernalia, they're all important, not in the New Testament. So many people out of ignorance bring in all of the Old Testament into the New Testament. So you have churches where the priests are dressed like the Old Testament. You want to blow the trumpet. All that is fine, but literally you don't need that. You must understand the New Testament. We are far better off than we were in the Old Testament. If you messed up the Sabbath law, if you messed up the Sabbath mile, if you messed up certain things in the Old Testament, you're finished. But I want you to understand all of this is important and some of them continue to be important, but not in the sense of salvation. Now, that being said, I will talk about what would be the purifying oil or ointment that purifies us. Let's read Exodus chapter 30 and reading from verse 23. These are the composition that literally in basically proportions. So thou shalt make the principal spices of pure number one myrrh. And then you will have sweet cinnamon, number two. Thirdly, you would have calamus, number three. When you turn to verse 24, you have two more items, cassia, 500 shekels, and number five is oil of uh, olive, olive oil, that is number five. A hint simply means a gallon. 
Now, it's important we understand that when you go into the Old Testament, you find that this becomes very important. So, just go to verse 25, and you're going to find, Thou shalt make it uh, oil of holy ointment. Towards the end, it shall be holy anointing oil. I know good meaning friends come to me and tell me that, uh, uh, take this oil, pastor, and bless it. I do it, you know. Can you please bless my car? I do it, yeah. But I want you to understand this. The car is not blessed. The oil is not blessed. You are blessed. <laughs> Can you say it? <laughs> so if that pleases you, the car before could have been driven by a demon-possessed man, a drunkard, a sex slave, uh, or whatever. But the moment you own it, it's important who is the owner, you. And we bless you, and whatever you own. So you want to tell me, bless your cup of coffee, you have the time, I will bless that too. But it's you. So you need to bless whatever you eat and say, thank you, Lord. Because you are blessed and everything around you, including your money and means, are blessed. You get it? Give the Lord a clap offering. But in the Old Testament, it was a little different uh, when you look into Exodus chapter 30 and drop down to verse 26, the next verse. What else do they use? You shall anoint the tabernacle of the congregation with the ark of the testimony. So, you know, when um, coronavirus uh, basically hit, we were one of the first ch uh, churches to do all that it would take. Now, so it cost us a bomb, but we made sure we fumigated the entire place. We brought in professional people, we had to wait in line, and then we brought the implements by which we can do ourselves. So if you see Brother Goodman and Brother Angelo wearing the Hesmat, you almost think they just came in from space, but they fumigate the place, so we take it seriously. Now, this is not that. This, if we could think about these two men literally spraying anointing oil. What? It is different in a spiritual level. It kills everything that is resistant to you in the spiritual, and the Holy Spirit is sprayed all over. So you have people going around before the service and saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. But then before coming to service, people are praying, and there's a sense of a holy anointing upon the place. Where is it? It's in the Spirit. So praying is so important. When you turn to, again, chapter 30 of the book of Exodus and verse 30, listen to what it says here, and says, Thou shalt anoint, now this is people, Aaron, and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the holy place. Very important when you turn to um, Exodus chapter 29 and verse 29, look again to what it says in this place. And the holy garments of the Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed therein and to be consecrated in them. So all of these are with that holy anointing oil. In fact, not only kings, even priests, not only priests, even kings have to be anointed. Uh, you take, for example, Samuel going out to meet David. Uh, he didn't know who the person would be, and God had to speak to him. But if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13, listen to what it says here. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his... That simply means the hand of the Lord is upon you. You are anointed. Three times David was anointed until he became the king the third time. 
The first time is a preparation. So in other words, you know what you're headed for. No matter what's going on, you're going to play out all of this, what God speaks to you. They will all the, um, like demons from the pit would come out to, uh, to keep you from your calling. But hey, David stayed through. Again, Elijah was asked, Elijah was asked by God when he said, my time here on earth is ended. You know, you still have got to do things. Don't come home before your time. When you read 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 16, he said, go in and anoint Jew, the son of Nimshi, and he will be going, to, uh, he'll be the king. And so that's basically, and then secondly, you need to anoint your successor, Elisha. So your work is not done. You need to anoint them. You need to teach them. You need to disciple them. And they get the things that God has for them. So when you look into this passage, you're going to find a very interesting aspect of what it is called the anointing oil. There is a wonderful passage in the book of Psalms that talks about the oil. Remember I told you it is precious, it is a treasure. This is how important this is. And this is something that is a tributary to God and not given to the spiritual Egypt of today. But when you read Psalm 133 and verse 2, I want you to listen to what it talks about unity. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed in the Gospel of John chapter 17, but come here it is, that is talking about unity, is like a precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, and Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment all the way down. Ah, I'm glad I'm not an Old Testament high priest. It's not like a... Pastor, can you anoint me? Yeah, we give you a little tinkle, a drop, and put it on your head. So, especially... I know today women will say, Pastor, don't mess up my hair with that oil, okay? I, they don't tell me I could hear them in their soul speaking to me. Don't throw it. But then there are others who say, pour it on, pour it on, pour it on. That's literally the Old Testament. I told you, a hin of olive mixed with calamus, mixed with cassia, mixed with myrrh, and all of this with a gallon of olive oil. It is poured on the high priest, the high priest in his priestly garment, and basically his hair, his head is totally oiled, and it comes soaking into his beard, and from his beard, ah, I don't know about the oil coming into, I don't have a beard, but if I do, I wouldn't love it. But the oil soaks the beard, and I will talk about it one day, what it means. I did a study on that on Wednesday. It goes into the chest area, which has the 12 stones. The stones represent the people of Israel, the tribes, and soaks every one of those precious stones and goes down to the end, to the skirts of his garment. That is unity. Excuse me? The head is one thing. The beard is another thing. The chest and all the stones are another thing. And all the way is talking about the church with this many components. And no matter how different we are, we must love the difference because the Holy Spirit comes upon all. So whether you are a Democrat or Republican or Independent, whether you are black, white or brown, it doesn't matter. If you are a Christian, you are soaking. You should be soaked with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? When you are soaked with the Spirit, nothing is going to take over 
but what the Holy Spirit tells you, giving glory to the Lord. Oh, I can tell you there have been the Obamites and the Bushites and the Trumpites and you have the Bidenites. My friend, let's just be Jesusite. Can you say amen? Go ahead, give the Lord a clap offering. So now I want you to understand this is very important because in uh, Luke chapter 7 and verse 38, remember this woman? She understood what it means and what she did is a memorial right up to the kingdom of heaven. She poured the very best at the feet of Jesus. That is what the anointing oil is about. Poured at the feet of Jesus. And this represents a church that will anoint oil, glorify the Lord Jesus. That is the purpose. The purpose of the oil is not to build a Cherian kingdom or a junior Cherian or the grandson Cherian. It is to build the kingdom of God. Pastor Wright was the pastor of this church. His son was an anointed singer. There was a man named Rick Nelson with a degree from Dallas. I walked in and he said, what took you so long? I've been waiting for you. He's white and brown. He speaks chaste American English. I'm speaking broken what would be American English. But he said, what took you, Lord, so long? You are anointed to follow me. That was many years ago. That, my friend, is the church of God. It's not politics. Can you say amen? It's not a family industry. It is the kingdom of God. And when you support this organization or this corporate body, you are not basically supporting individual people and their place. You are supporting a work of God that God has ordained. Give the Lord a clap offering. Now I want you to realize something very important. When you go into the passage in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost, anointed with the Holy Ghost, with power. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed, for God was with him. But that's the anointing we have in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27. This anointing teaches you, and that is what the anointing does. Let's go to number four, and I want to close with this, and this is very important. Number four is fly in the ointment. Fly in your worship, fly in your ideas, fly in your theology, fly in your prayer. Do you have a fly that messes up your life? Fly in your finance, fly in your health. Do you have this fly? Then you need to take care. What is this fly? Very interesting because when you turn to Let's go back to what would be the where we began. And this is Ecclesiastic 10, 10 and verse 1. Listen carefully. Dead flies. This is what fly is. It speaks of deadness. That is a representation of the spirit of death. It brings death. It brings death. It brings death. So when you're looking at what this virus did, it has brought death to so many people. You know, when New York was uh, drying, I get phone calls from India saying, oh my God, we are keeping you in prayer, we're keeping you in prayer. And then the Prime Minister says, you know, we follow the Vedic. 
we are not going to be affected because we are protected. He said that, and two weeks later, people were dying like flies. Listen, my friend, the fly brings death to black, white, and brown, the rich and poor, just about everybody. What is so terrible about this? We're not talking about a virus. We're talking about demon, and we have seen this death strike so many. But we're talking about what would be dead flies in your ointment, in your life that should bring a, a, a sweet-smelling savour. It has brought sting and a foul odour. Why? Dead flies. Very interesting because the first couple of curses or plagues that were on Egypt had to do with creeping things, had to do with flies, had to do with, uh, with locusts, destroying the economy, destroying the life, destroying Egypt because they were commanded by a strong man. And he wouldn't let God's people go. And God had to deal with the strong man by a stronger man. Can you say amen? That was the anointing of God. Pharaoh said, no way. Moses said, set my people free. Now, these people were free, and guess what happened to them? Flies, dead flies killed their anointing. Can you, you can't say amen to that. It's a terrible tragedy of the people of Hebrew. They just died because this, this death got into them when they disobeyed God. But let's just do this. When you turn to Exodus chapter 8 and verse 21, listen to what God is saying. God is saying to Moses, go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. If not, I will send swarms of flies upon you and upon your servants and upon your people into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of the swarms of flies in the ground where they are. It's going to cover them. Creeping things and flying things were one of the many gods of Egypt. What is tragedy is, as a nation, we too have left the creator for the creation. We have moved away from God and we can basically say anything against God, against the Lord Jesus. Oh, but you can't say anything about creations. You could go into prison for that. Creation has become a God. Humanism has become a God. Uh, it's in America. It's all over the West, all over the world. But I want you to understand when you turn down to verse 24, Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 24. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, into his servant's house, and all the land of Egypt, the land was corrupted. Dead flies corrupt by reason of the swarm of flies. And then comes the locusts, and then comes the lice. And these are all things that they had worshipped. When we worship God and when we are blessed, we forget the blesser, and bless our blessings. You see a lot of dance even in church and say, I'm blessed, I got a promotion. Did you worship the Lord before you got the promotion? Did you worship the giver before you got the gifts? Now you worship the Lord because you get the gifts? Listen to me, my friend. The blesser and the gifter is greater than the blessing and greater than any gifts. Now, when the Lord Jesus in the New Testament was doing miracles... This is what the folks said. These are the Pharisees. And they were trying to trounce him. And what they said was something so horrible. It's called the blasphemy of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you are of your father. Oh, you were of Abraham? He said, no. 
of your father Satan. Now, very important, when you look into this passage in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 24, this is how they respond to the great miracles of the Lord Jesus. And when Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, by but by Balsaspi, the prince of the devil. And if you translate this word, Balsabib, or Balsabub, which or where you want to pronounce, is simply the Lord of the flies that bring death. Now, how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds in verse 25, If I, by the finger of God, did this, how about Moses? Was that God or was it the demon? And so, obviously, uh, every city that's divided against itself will not stand. So you better get your act together because you are fighting against the finger of God. Now, I want you to understand, very important, when you turn to this passage, Balsabab, you must realize he's the God of Egypt, one of the many gods, but he's also the God of the Phoenix and the Philistines in the olden days, not today. So if you turn to uh, 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 1, here is this king of Israel who had God. He had the Bible, he had priests, he had the temple, and of all people there were Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. But look at this man. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Ahab is a very wicked king. So you know where it goes. One king produces more rotten kings. They compromised. They began to compromise. And this is dead flies in their religion, in their faith, in their understanding of theology. And today you're looking at today. I can understand the leaders of this country telling you something and says, okay, we don't go by the values of the Bible. We're going to say this is what we do. So this is our lifestyle. My friend, it is horrible. But then for a priest to stand up and do exactly like politicians and break the law of God, it is the most horrible thing to do. The word will always be the word. You cannot compromise. No dead flies in your theology. Now, I want you to listen. In verse uh, 1 Kings, um, where would I say? And yes, in verse 2, and Ahaziah, he is king after Ahab, fell down through a lattice in his upper room that was in Samaria. He was sick and he sent messengers. And where did he send? He said, Go to Belzebub, the god of Akron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Excuse me? Where is your prophets? Where is the word? Where is the priest? No, this is the king. Nothing is new under the sun. What was then is still today. Let's go to Belzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover or not. God in heaven hears it. I want you to understand this. A Syrian soldier, a commander-in-chief, he was filled with leprosy, but one maid told him, there's a prophet in Israel. The man goes searching to the king and the king says, I'm not the prophet, but says, this is the prophet in Dothan. He goes to the prophet and the prophet doesn't even see him. He says, just tell that man to wash seven times in Jordan. The general is huffed and puffed and angry. He says, what does he think? The river Pafa and the rivers of, of my country are better than this Jordan. He's right. But the fact is, it's not about the water. It's about obedience. And one servant said, sir, you came all the way. You might as well listen to him. One, two, six. And the seventh time he went in and he came out, he was clean. That is a Syrian soldier. 
a commander-in-chief, a great guy. And here is the king of America, I'm sorry, Israel. Basically, what is his reaction? He says, go to Belzebub. Find out if I will recover. God hears this. In chapter 1 and verse 6, in the same chapter and verse 16, listen to how God replies and listen carefully. And he said, thus saith the Lord, for as much as you send messengers to inquire of Belzebub, the God of Ekron, is not because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word. Wherefore thou shalt not come out of his bed in which you are gone, but you shall surely die. And then you find he's dead and gone. What an opportunity. But it is the madness of his theology. It got watered down to a place where just about anything goes. My friend, you can't help politics, but you've got to help the church you attend. Listen to what it says in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 and 3. First Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressingly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. He is a man of God. And he gets up and begins to pretend that he's a woman or he's an it. She, him. Yep. My friend, join politics, not the church. A church is not the place for you to exhibit she and it. Look at the word of God. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil, Belzebub. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Look what Paul is writing in this passage. It is even stronger. Talking about the last day. Know that in the last days, perilous times shall come. It is already upon us. Verse 2. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. You talk about boasters, I'm not talking about the word around. You're talking about church and people who are called charismatic are nothing but covetous. Bigger plane, bigger home, bigger this, bigger that. My friend, God bless them all. God blesses us. But you don't need to steal and do this to get money in such a corrupted way. And blasphemous, disobedient, and goes on and on right up to verse 4 and verse 5. That is the tragic situation of today. I want you to understand, when you're talking about Belzebub, this is what it does. He is the god of flies, god of everything that is dead. He comes into your worship. And before you know it, it is not by the Spirit and the Word, it is by the Word. That's what they do in Hollywood. That's what they do in Madison Square. Bring it to the house of God. No, 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 no. We're modern, we're the 21st century, we use all the amenities to bless God, but we don't have to fall prey to what is the seducing spirit. We're not going by what people say and do, we must still be careful. The lyrics are important. Not simply the music, but what exactly are we going to talk about? What is our style? What is our worship? We should be 21st century, but what I mean is 
what are we saying? We're saying sweet nothings today. Our worship is more about, let's jump, let's dance. I love him with my heart. I love him with my kidney. I love him with my eyes. My friend, is there no theology in our songs today? We need to be very careful, and this is very important. How about our worship, our prayers? And Paul says, I will pray with my understanding, and I will also pray in the Spirit, the anointing of God. If you've never experienced what it is to pray in the Spirit, in unknown tongue, I hope and pray you do. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Not be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, the anointing, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Melody in the 21st century doesn't have to be the first century, but it is melody in your heart to who? To the Lord. It is something that we can worship God in our mind and worship God with our spirit. They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and truth. Just where you are, I'm going to close with this. Is there a fly in your ointment? Is there a fly in your theology? Is there a fly in your prayers? Is there a fly in your giving? Is there a fly in your finance life? Is there a fly in your health where the wounds cannot be healed? And where there is no right mind, I'm praying the anointing of God. Wherever you are right now, the Spirit of God would touch you. I don't have to dance and jump around. It is not me, but the Holy Spirit. Just where you are, reach out, maybe for someone that you are standing in the gap for. And I'm just saying this prayer, sweet Holy Spirit, the anointing of God, the strong one that broke down the God of Belzebub in Egypt. Break down, O God, the Lord of the flies, and bring healing, bring grace, and bring peace, and fill the hearts of your people, bringing healing in the spirit, in the mind, and right now in the body. Miracles, signs, wonders. Just where you are that is watching, know that you're healed even as you are here today, healing because of the anointing, the ointment, not touched by the fly, but touched by God, the fingers of God. It is healing in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.